How does the law impact and shape the way we live? Welcome to the Law and Life podcast brought to you by TGB Lawyers. Welcome back to the Law and Life podcast. We're here for another round and today we've uh, got two gentlemen, two very expert gentlemen in the room with us and we will be talking about income protection and total permanent disability insurance. Um, Now we have insurance and protections and we get smashed by TV advertising about all the different types we should have, health and car, but this is something that is very important but at the same time is Probably something of an unknown quantity for a lot of our listeners. Uh, So let's welcome our guest today. We have first up a partner at Tindalgask Bentley, Tim White. Hi, Michael. And we have a very special guest in Troy Galash, who is the director of WealthLogic, a very respected financial services firm here in Adelaide. Welcome, Troy. Thanks, Michael. So, mate, I will uh, start with you and we'll look at this pretty broadly. Um, What's the purpose of income protection and TPD cover and why does someone like me need it who honestly thought that the only insurance I really need is, you know, my extras for my optical and my dentist and my car and my house and, you know, I'm going to save some money on everything else. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, So your income is probably your most uh, valuable asset in life, your ability to earn an income. So what income protection insurance is, is it provides you with a replacement of your income, generally up to 75%. Of your um, of your earnings, if you can't work due to illness or injury, right. is there is there a time limit on that? Um, so that replaces my income if, if if I'm not working, and that's quite a generous threshold there. But how long does that keep going for? Yeah, so uh, good question. Income protection has a waiting period and a benefit period. So generally, a waiting period can be anywhere from fourteen days to thirty days to sixty days, and 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 longer. Is that, just, is that just dependent on your policy? Yes, that'll depend on how your policy set up. Um, through a, if you've got default cover through a super fund, that could be thirty days, sixty days, or ninety days. And generally, the benefit period is two years. Um, if under a retail policy, you've got your benefit period, which could be up to age sixty-five. It could be age sixty. It could be for five years or two years. So, how many clients do you have coming to you that? don't really have much of a clue about this or perhaps have you know, multiple super funds and have multiple policies. Is, is that something that, that you come across? Yeah, a lot of uh, clients come to us. That's why they come to us, I guess, because they, they don't have much idea about uh, insurances. But um, a lot of clients come to us with a few industry funds and they've got default insurances and may have may have an income protection policy in each of those super funds. And I guess our job is to structure their insurance in the right way and, and get one policy that will cover them for, for all those needs. Sure. So how, how do you go about structuring that? And you know, I guess as a, as a broad thing, you know, you get all their finances in order, but then also specifically um, this income protection and TPD policies. Um, sounds like people. some people just get it by default through their super. Um, other people have to perhaps go hunting for the best deal. Uh, where do you guys come into it and how do you make this an easy process? Yeah, we, so we, um, 
we do a needs analysis when a client comes in and part of that is to review their existing insurance if they've got any and and their super funds and if they can hold insurance through their super fund or not. Um, when we make a recommendation, it will be dependent on things such as the surplus cash flow um, and their taxation position. So um, if they don't have surplus cash flow, we may structure it through super. If they do have surplus cash flow and on a high marginal tax rate, well, then we may structure it in their personal name to get a tax deduction. Okay. So a big part of this is, or or perhaps a real contributing factor for the decision is what sort of tax rate you can get out of it. And cash flow. And cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So what are some of the other important aspects that people should look at for taking out income protection? Um, I guess, like you said before, um, Everyone, or most people cover their home and contents. Most people cover their car. Um, if they go overseas, they take out travel insurance. Um, income protection is the most, probably your most important asset that you've got is your ability to earn an income. So really, I guess the question is, how long can you go, how, how long can you live and, and meet your living expenses without, if you couldn't work, without income protection insurance and I think that's probably the starting point and then so I'd last about a week um, at this stage <laughs> so and well that would determine then your waiting period so if people have built up some equity and have some surplus money they may have a longer waiting period but the general rule of thumb for me is if someone's working they need an income therefore they should have income protection to age 65 or or their desired retirement age so everyone should have this right along their health and all the other basic insurances that we have just sort of had it indoctrinated into us that you must get as soon as you turn 18. Unless they're working for the love of it and don't need the money. <laughs> sure. Um, so as you were talking there about you know, how they look at your incomes and, and how long you can survive for, is there... So if I was to get car insurance and I get agreed value on this car if the worst was to happen... Could I do the same with my income or does it fluctuate depending on job to job? Do I need to inform my superannuation provider or the policy provider that my income's changed? How does that, how does that sort of thing work? Yeah, good question. Um, generally through superannuation, um, your policy be, would be called an indemnity style contract. So what that is, is that you need to prove your income at time of claim. So you may have a I'll give you an example. You may have a benefit of, say, $5,000 a month, but if you're only earning $3,000 a month at that time, they'll generally only pay the 75% of of what you're earning. If you get a retail-style contract and you can justify your income up front, that's then what's called agreed or financially endorsed, and that is then guaranteed. So if your income changes in the future, um, it maybe even goes down, that contract's locked in. So once you need to make a claim, you get paid what your benefit amount is. Okay, so that's, that's a good bit of peace of mind there for some people that might just want to know that they've got yeah. that thing tucked away and, and is good to go. And that's, we would recommend, nine times out of ten, we recommend agreed or financially endorsed contracts because when you claim or if you claim, the last thing you want to be doing is pulling out financials and justifying what benefit you should be receiving, you want to know that you're getting paid an amount. Well, you'd imagine that a lot of these people are already going through a lot anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, if they've, clearly, they've been hurt, they're injured, they're worried about keeping a roof over their head. So this is something they just want to get done really smoothly and quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And know the peace of mind that they know what they're going to get paid. 
But speaking of smoothly and quickly, it's not always like that, um, at least I think in our experience at the firm, you know, some things in the legal process don't go smoothly. Um, so, you know, there's this idea of, you know, loopholes and technicalities that, you know, insurance companies have a reputation for trying to, you know, deny giving you any money. Um, yeah, and Tim, this would probably be something for, I'd like to hear both of your opinions on. Um, you know, how much information do you need to put forward to get these you know, uh, to get these policies approved, um, you know, I guess giving the bigger picture to the insurer of, you know, I guess your health, your past, um, your work duties, perhaps all those contributing factors that any insurer would take into account um, if you were injured at work, injured in a car crash, anything like that. It seems that they always dig really deep whenever you make a claim, even if you've just been unfortunate enough to have your house robbed. So how does that work in, in this case? Yeah, I think... Uh, another good question. I guess um, when we r recommend a retail policy, there's an application process where you talk about your role, your duties at work, um, your you go through your financials and you go through your medical history and then the insurer makes a, an assessment based on what you've given them and offers cover. And so there's a duty of disclosure that you need to go through when you're going through that process and once you've given them all the information, they've assessed your risk, that contract's offered, that contract's locked in. That then avoids surprises for when you need to go and claim because you've given all the information up front. My experience would be that the, um, the issues with insurers not wanting to pay is where the information hasn't been given up front where you've been offered maybe cover through a super fund or something like that. Um, and Oh, sorry. So just to clarify, as in you've almost gotten that cover by default through your super fund and you haven't gone through the process that a client would go through with you if they came to see you. Yeah, but yeah, potentially. Yep. And so where you haven't given that information and then they then ask you some questions at claim time. And at that point in time, things come up that if they would have known that, they wouldn't have taken the policy on mm -hmm. therefore as I said before people think they've got cover but they haven't actually been underwritten when they um, when they applied they get underwritten when they go to claim and then and then potentially they don't have the cover right Tim is that a, mm. create a potentially you know from mm. from the client's perspective that would they feel pretty hard done by in that situation wouldn't they yeah it's interesting hearing what Troy's had to say because we see the other end of it where a claim's been denied for various reasons, whether it's a TPD cover or income protection cover. So um, sometimes uh, the information that hasn't been provided could just be an oversight, a genuine oversight by, by the client where they'd forgotten about uh, a medical condition or an event that had happened previously and then that event that may have occurred many years earlier, many years prior to applying for the insurance cover um, having occurred and yet it's being used as a reason to then deny um, a payment under that policy. So that's more where we uh, tend to get involved where there's been a denial of uh, a claim for whether it's income protection or TPD. But I think as you were touching on, there's two very different types of cover, isn't there? There's retail or personal uh, insurance cover or 
a broader industry-based cover through superannuation policies. Can you just touch on with the with the private uh, aspect? I mean. I assume there's a lot of documentation to be provided and, you know, that depends on the person's age and their medical history, but we're not talking about a few pieces of paper. Can it be quite um, onerous in terms of the medical disclosure? Yeah, look, it can be quite onerous, but the way um, the insurance companies um, do this now is quite, is they make it as easy as they can for clients. So generally, I'll take you quickly through the process is that someone would come to see us, um, we'd assess their needs and make a recommendation. Once they accept that recommendation, we then apply to the life insurance company and now that's all online um, or, or can be all online. So the, the, we, we apply online and then part of that is we would generally have the insurance company call the client direct. Um, they go through the medical questions with the client um, depending on how the client answers, it may be um, accepted there and then. If depending on levels of cover, it, they may then request um, uh, basic medical information or a basic medical test, or write to the client's doctor. So the process is is from a paperwork point of view not too bad. Um, it can be a little bit lengthy depending on the medical situation of the client um, but generally we find is that if there's any hold-ups it's when we need to request information from the doctor um, other than that it it, it it can go really smoothly yeah so it's okay. not it's not as daunting as people might think I mean I, and I expect understandably you want it to be comprehensive um, and as you said sometimes well usually the more comprehensive it is at the outset the more certain um the circumstances are if a person does need to claim on the policy subsequently no that's interesting because i thought it might be more paper heavy uh but that's pleasing to hear that it's not yeah yeah look it's it's not too bad and i guess from an advisor perspective or from a, a financial planning practice we certainly try and take that away from the client and and given it's that's something that's where our expertise is we are familiar with the paperwork and then and then can take people through that process i mean i guess really this is the sort of stuff that you know can quite literally save people's houses isn't it in this situation yeah well absolutely um i'm a financial planner so i guess i'm expected to say this but i think everyone should have um income protection insurance it's it's one of the most important as i said it's one of the most important assets you've got is your ability to earn an income. So if you can't earn an income, um, how are you going to fund the lifestyle that you're, that, that you're setting yourself up to do? So, Yeah, I definitely think I'll be calling you after this podcast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back to this discussion in just a moment. Do you need legal advice? TGB is a highly respected Australian law firm that can help you with most legal issues, including injury compensation, workplace issues, estate planning, criminal matters, as well as business and property. TGB's clients are diverse, including families, employees, businesses and associations. Get the right advice. Visit tgb.com.au to arrange an appointment at your nearest office. 
So, Tim, let's take a look now at what you touched on earlier, and that is the flip side of the coin on this issue. People have been uh, smart enough to get a policy for TPD or income protection, or they have one through their super, which you know, perhaps miraculously they never knew they had, but they're in a good spot at least. Um, how do they go about making a claim uh, if they are injured at work um, or injured in any other sort of accident? How do they make a claim uh, through their super, through their policy, and you know, basically keep a roof over their head and keep food on the table? Yeah, I think with... Uh, two aspects to that one being uh, income protection cover and the second being total and permanent disability insurance or TPD insurance. So uh, certainly at TGB we're seeing uh, a bit of an increase with people asking us questions about their cover for income protection or TPD and that probably ties in with a reduction in entitlements to uh, compensation through work injury claims or motor vehicle accident claims. So it, just uh, briefly with the income protection, um, it depends on the policy and the wording in the policy, but uh, typically if it's an industry-based policy, then uh, there's usually a two-year cover and it's a matter of having medical evidence that satisfies the definitions in that policy, uh, namely that you can't work or that you're reduced with the extent to which you can work. So dealing with that insurer uh, to satisfy them, to satisfy them uh, that you fulfill the definition uh, for income protection payments. So it can be another avenue through which to um, have some money coming in uh, if the person's not working because of a work injury or a motor vehicle accident or something else. That's caused it. So you don't have to make a choice between this. You can sort of you can make a claim on on both fronts. Um, so, for example, through work cover and also a TPD claim. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, of course, I'm sure Troy will comment on this, but which is quite right. It depends on the wording in the policy, uh, the income protection, or the TPD policy. But most definitely, there is certainly the potential, and people should be thinking about these other avenues uh, as potentially available to them. And uh, just with the TPD cover, that is a higher threshold because you're talking about usually a definition that discusses, uh, you know, not or being unlikely to be able to return to any form of work. So, so anything at all, like you just literally you won't be re-entering the workforce? Uh, the, 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 the definition does get narrowed down, you know, taking into account the sort of work you've done in the past, your training, education. So it's not as broad as anything, but it looks at the type of work that you were in at the time or that you've done uh, recently and whether or not you're unlikely to be able to return back to that type of work. Um, and the TPD payments can be you know, pretty considerable. They're paid as a lump sum, uh, usually, at least initially, there's not taxation on that, but that's an issue for an accountant or a financial planner to give advice on. But it, it can be another injection of um, money to assist the individual or the family if they're going through financial difficulties because of an injury. Um, so I think they're important things to get advice on and think about um, in addition to any other entitlements that the person might have. Yeah, I might just add income protection is probably generally an or. So you can claim on one or the other and because your income protection policy may or may not have offsets in it for, for other type of income. Um, 
total and permanent disablement cover as a lump sum is most likely to be an end. So you can claim under um, work cover payments or the total and permanent disablement cover. Um, just on the point Tim was making, and, and this is quite important, there, there's two types of total and permanent disablement insurance. Um, the first one is any occupation. And, and basically what any occupation is, is that you can't, you can't do, um, you can't work in any occupation. Um, and that's generally the type of cover you would get within, within a super fund um, that's offered as a, as a default. The other type of cover is own occupation, total and permanent disablement cover. Um, and you'd, that is where you're no longer able to work in your regular job. So, Pat, for example, really rough example, I'm a construction worker. There's, my back is done, uh, there's some sort of paralysis and although I could theoretically perhaps work in a call centre, it's about what I previously used to be able to do. Is that sort of how it works? Yeah, it is. I'd probably use the example more of a professional yep. um, where you're a, um, you're a lawyer mm-hmm. and you can't work as a lawyer but you can work on your reception desk as an example right, okay. so you can still work for the same same company, company but, different but you can't do your job sure yeah they are um important differences aren't they because yeah. uh although we're talking about broad concepts here it really does come down to the individual circumstances of um the person that's either got the difficulty or that's getting advice and um Certainly, own occupation policies are preferable uh, in terms of being more likely to receive a payment. And um, an important thing for people to look at when they're uh, considering what sort of insurance cover they've got. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now, you guys are going to have different perspectives on this, but I think it's one of those situations where perhaps financial advisors and lawyers sort of, you know, I imagine we'll be working together or have a lot of crossover in this. And that is, you know, what are the initial steps of, I guess, you know, ground zero of having had that injury, knowing that you need to make a claim and, and do this? And um, I, I guess if that would happen to me, what should I do first up? Who's the first person I speak to? Who do I pick up the phone? Do I ring Wealth Logic or do I ring TGB? Or do I get you guys on a conference call? Um, it depends. So if you're under advice, so through a financial planning firm, you would call... Um, the financial planning firm and they would lodge a claim on your behalf with the insurer and work through that process with you. Um, If you just had your insurance through your industry super fund, as an example, you would contact your your industry super fund and follow the prompts to make a claim. And then if I was going to make a dispute, that's when I'd give you a buzz, Tim? Yeah, if, I think if, things, the, if, things, if, if, if things were rejected there, pretty much. I yep. think I think the financial planners and Troy's firm certainly is best place to deal with um, those important things, those important steps of initiating a claim if it's necessary. And then usually the lawyers uh, become involved if, if there's a made, if there's an issue with the with the payment and 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 that they can be multiple issues uh, depending on the type of payment. So what happens if we can't get this resolved? Um, you know, if I've got an issue with the payment, if it's been rejected outright, it's not enough, what steps are, are, t- are taken then? 
I suppose, again, Troy and I might have different perspectives on that because, I th- you know, the lawyers would probably quite rightly or wrongly be perceived as coming in with the gloves on, so the boxing gloves on. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we would um, certainly walk the client through if the policy, if the claim, sorry, if the claim had been denied, so let's say it's a TPD claim and they'd been denied it, there could be a number of reasons, but let's just assume that, that it was because they hadn't fulfilled the definition of TPD, then we'd have to look closely at what the policy said, obviously, in relation to that, get a good history about uh, the areas or industries the client had worked in and what the injury or injuries are that were debilitating them at the moment. And then, um, to the extent necessary, get further medical evidence to support um, a person's inability to work if that's what the case is. And once we've got that or got those foundations, we can then start talking more meaningfully with the uh, insurer and try and persuade them informally. That's certainly the approach that we take. Try and persuade them informally through letter letters, phone calls, emails to alter their decision. And um, if that's unsuccessful, there's some other steps that we can go through. But that would be our approach. I don't know if Troy would do it similarly. I I would just say probably the step before that is that we would, um, the financial planner would speak with the insurer at a yeah you know, at a more basic level i guess to try and clarify why the claim was um um was rejected now sometimes um you know it is the, they just don't meet the definition but other times it might be well we haven't actually been given all the information and if you we were given that extra piece of information our decision would have been different or um we've had an example where um the claims assessor didn't understand the policy and so therefore it was once we pointed out that what the policy actually was and what we were claiming for, it was changed. So there's there's a number of reasons, I guess, before it probably needs to get down the legal path of, of clarification with the insurer. What's the sort of the, the, the next step beyond that in terms of going down the legal path? Um, it's It's encouraging because I think a lot of people get scared of a legal system and the idea of, of court. And you mentioned before uh, informal letters, phone calls, and I guess you know negotiation and mediation to come to a compromise agreement at least. Um, but what happens beyond that? Is it? I mean, I guess really what we're talking about is potentially court, um, aren't we? True. There, there is one stage before that which will sometimes um, take. If we if we think it's appropriate, and when's it appropriate? Well, if if it's uh, a bit uncertain as to whether or not if it's not a clear cut case, so sometimes you might jump over this step. But the next step I think is worth looking into is the insurance complaints tribunal. So it's a really good functioning tribunal. Uh, a lot of the time, uh, the interaction with them is by email or letters or phone calls so you don't have to turn up to a courtroom or uh, present your case uh, in a courtroom setting at all it's a tribunal Um, a lot of it is done uh, through correspondence and then in that process there is a conciliation conference so you have the applicant the person making the claim and you have either the uh, 
superannuation fund and or the insurer that is paying out uh, the policy. So there's at least three different parties, including the tribunal present, and um, if it can't resolve through correspondence, then there's a conciliation held, and the um, it's a really effective system, I find, in resolving things fairly quickly, and it's binding on the uh, insurer or the superannuation fund, uh, the decision. Uh, however, it's not binding on the applicant. So if the applicant's successful th- through that process, that's resolved the issue. If they're not, and the ruling is that the uh TPD or income protection isn't payable, then the applicant still has a further option of taking the matter to court if they want. But I think the uh, the insurance complaints system is a good one to go through because it's cheaper, quicker, um, and sometimes more efficient than a court. So it's only then if that fails that um, if you think uh, that the case obviously warrants it that you'd then advise um, a client to consider or take the proceedings to a court and then you've got a couple of options but broadly uh, you could possibly issue depending on the amount involved through the magistrate's court or the district court or the local court Um, so you then have an option of which court you issue the proceedings in and then that is when it does become much more formal of filing a summons serving it on the insurer or the superannuation uh, body and um, there's a process that you go through with that as well so you don't end up immediately in a courtroom in a witness box there's quite a few stages to go through Uh, again a focus on conciliation to try and settle the dispute however the end of that road is a trial if the parties can't reach a resolution. But a trial is not common. It's very uh, rare in, in this sort of setting. Um, but it is a, a possible outcome and uh, then it's a judge that decides um, on the outcome of the case uh, if the parties haven't been able to uh, settle it beforehand. Um, I'm, I'm just curious to know if hypothetically I had no cover at all, I hadn't come to see you, Troy, and then the worst happened. Uh, then ba- there's no other sort of avenue through which to get any extra compensation, is there? I would literally just have to go through whatever work cover or uh, motor accident commission insurers offered me. So, I mean, to me, that I guess you know, crystallizes the importance of getting this sort of cover. Am I, am I right mm. in saying that? Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, not that I can think of. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, I would say. Just further to that, though, the default level of insurance that you might have in your super fund, you can generally personalise that to increase your um, likelihood of claim for a similar cost. Right. So, so my view is is that everyone should look at it and try and personalise their cover. Exactly. You just, everyone should just pick up the phone, look into this and, and, and make sure that they've got... Uh all their ducks in a row. I mean, that it astounds me how many people we see that have been injured at work or in a car accident. When we raise this of what cover do you have, income protection or TPD, and they really just don't know um, until they go home, oh. get the statement out, uh, or call the insurer 
or financial planner and ask them. And um, well, usually if they're getting financial advice, they will know uh, from the planner. But a lot of the time, the majority of the time, the client just doesn't know if they've got the cover, let alone what the cover provides for. So it's a really important thing to do to pick up the phone, call uh, your financial planner or the superannuation company that you're dealing with or just look at your statement and see if you have um, cover for TPD or income protection and what you're actually, how much, what are you actually covered for because um, hopefully you don't need to use it but you may need to. Troy, um, I'm just curious to know, this could be a how long is a piece of string kind of question. Um, these, these, these often are. Um, What's the cost like on this sort of policy as, a, as an ongoing weekly expense? Uh, I guess it might be relative to what your income is or your level of cover, but um, you know, you see those ads that say, "Oh, we'll look for a dollar a day, we'll give you you know life insurance or income protection insurance," and then meanwhile you're paying forty bucks a week on your car insurance and you're paying twenty five dollars a week for your extras. I mean, what, what's the sort of grade, sort of grade that we're looking at here for, for, for people to do this? You're right. How long's a piece of string? <laughs> Look, it really depends. It depends on your age, um, your level of cover um, for income protection. What's if the the shorter your waiting period is an increased cost, and the longer your benefit period. So, um, an income protection policy with a thirty day wait to age sixty five may be more expensive than an income protection policy with a 90-day wait to age 60. Um, so it, it's all about, um, I guess, the risk to the insurer and, and, and how much do they have to pay out and over what period of time. Um, general rule of thumb is the younger you are, the cheaper the insurance because mm. um, you're, you're, you're a lower risk. Um, sure thing. Guys, have you got anything else to add tonight? No, I think just that they're really important things to be aware of and um, unfortunately they do arise and uh, people have injuries in all sorts of circumstances. So um, just be aware of what cover you have, if you have it and um, how much you're covered for if you hopefully do have the types of cover we've been dealing with. Yeah, I totally agree with Tim. I guess... um, the way I encourage my clients to think about it is what would happen to your lifestyle and what you're trying to do for your family if you couldn't work and you, if you suffered a, a, a temporary or permanent disablement. That's it, and you can't predict an accident. It's uh, the sort of thing that the, these policies, they, they save houses and, and uh, you know, keep, keep the lights on, which is, I guess, one of the most important things that any of us have got going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for your time today, guys. Uh, listeners, if, um, if you're looking for um, financial services, be sure to check out uh, Troy Gallish, uh, Director of WealthLogic. Uh, their website is wealthlogic.com.au. Um, and if you need legal advice about this or um, anything else, uh, give us a call or check out our website, Tyndall Gas Bentley. It's www.tgb.com.au. Uh, we have a stack of blogs and podcasts um, offering uh, all sorts of solutions to all of life's problems. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Law & Life, a podcast brought to you by TGB Lawyers. Make sure you subscribe to the show and for the latest podcast updates and news, visit 
tgb.com.au forward slash podcasts. TGB is a leading Australian law firm specialising in injury compensation, employment issues, family and divorce, wills and estates, criminal and traffic, business and property. To arrange an appointment, contact the TBG team or read blogs and content, visit tgb.com.au. Please be aware that discussions on this podcast are general in nature, true at the time of recording and should not be considered legal advice. If you are facing a legal issue, seek advice from a lawyer specific to your circumstances.